protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. The world is very different now, for man holds in his mortal hand the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. Let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring those problems which divide us. We dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Hey, Aaron. What is up, Jake? Oh, not much, not much. It's been two weeks, and it's time to meet at this tavern again, have a drink, and discuss some politics. Back in our favorite tavern. What uh, are we drinking today, Jake? So What'd you order for us? Havoc Meaderies, root of all evil, ginger mead, is what we're going to be drinking today. Okay. Let's crack that open. Ooh, you can smell it right when you open it. Ginger oh, right that, in that, the face. That hits you. That hits you hard right away. I'm not I'm not gonna say I don't like it. It's spicy. That that is like taking all the ginger <laughs> from what you get at a sushi restaurant and just sticking it in a carbonated beverage and chugging it. I don't hate it. And uh the same meadery has got a limited edition maple mead coming that I kind of want to try out now. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh. I'm going to say on my end, the jury is out on this one. Um, it really does taste like the root of all evil, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, the name is fitting. You, you know, out near you, uh, I don't think it's still there, um, but there was a juicery near where you lived down in the village. And they had a uh, drink called the the Doctor or something, that was just this ginger, uh, apple cider vinegar, sriracha mix that you're supposed to drink when you're starting to get sick. It was like a shot glass, and uh, not that I hate this, but I, I actually quite enjoy it. But the ginger from this reminds me of that. This is going to be one of those that. Uh... It's going to take me the entire episode to get through. Yeah, there's no um, chugging this one. No. This So, yeah. This is this is going to be an interesting one. But I like uh, luckily ginger. I got I got a chaser, so I like ginger, so I like it, but this is definitely a slow drink at 6.9% alcohol. You I mean, if you could chug this, I would not want to know what your throat looks like afterwards. Uh, well, I will say the either it's going to start tasting better or the rate of consumption is going to go up <laughs> so that uh, <laughs> I can get through it. That's uh, that's a, that's an interesting one. If you've ever wondered what it was like if a piece of ginger came to life and then uh, <laughs> farted in your face... I mean, this is it. Don't get me wrong. It's, it is tasty. And if you like ginger, you will love this. But dear God. 
So the description on it says, Root of all evil is the perfect balance of raw honey, spicy ginger, and bright lemon. If you've ever been hunting for a ginger beverage with real bite and no added sugar, this is the mead for you. So uh, this is like, uh, you know what it reminds me of? It's a a strong ginger beer. Um, Have you ever had Trader Joe's triple ginger beer? Yes. This reminds me a lot of that. I can see that. Like, I think also the term uh, "perfectly balanced" is uh, <laughs> is a little, a, uh, but a little bit. I would mix this with like um, I would actually do a mixer with this mead and throw in some like whiskey or something, Ooh. and it would mellow. I think very well. I think this would be great in uh, any type of mule. That yes, you do. Uh, any mule. That would, that would not a bad idea. A mule mead. Yeah, I don't know if it's really meant to be drinking straight out of the can like we're doing. But we're going to do it. We're going to do Thank it. You, Thank, Thank you, Havoc. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to sponsor us, we will take free <laughs> mead and review everything on the podcast. You got it right from us. So getting into it today, we're going to discuss the Progressive Party platform of 1912, a.k.a. the Bull Moose party platform uh this is when teddy roosevelt ran for president again if he had won it would have been his third term it was a break off of the republican party because excuse me he no longer trusted the republican party to continue with the goals he set out um i think it's an interesting thing to point out uh that those roosevelts really didn't want to follow that two-term limit thing uh, Theodore right. tried and failed and uh, ended up splitting the Republican vote, allowing a Democrat to become president and bringing us Woodrow Wilson in the long run. Um, and then FDR tried and succeeded with his four terms as president. So, And then Congress went, oh, fuck. <laughs> like we discussed Oopsie. last week. Yep. So... Um, before we get talking on this, I actually have another audio surprise for you. I went hunting, and uh, we're going to take a little four-minute break to listen to a little something, and then we'll get talking. So uh, let me get this going. The great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated briefly. It is... Are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. I believe in the right of the people to rule. I believe that the majority of the plain people of the United States will, day in and day out, make fewer mistakes in governing themselves than any smaller class or body of men, no matter what their training, will make in trying to govern them. I believe, again, that the American people are, as a whole, capable of self-control and of learning by their mistakes. Our opponents pay lip loyalty to this doctrine, but they show their real beliefs by the way in which they champion every device to make the nominal rule of the people a sham. I am not leading this fight as a matter of aesthetic pleasure. I am leading because somebody must lead or else the fight would not be made at all. I prefer to work with moderates, with rational conservatives, provided only that they do in good faith strive forward towards the light. But when they halt and turn their backs to the light, sit with the scorners on the seats of reaction, then I must part company with them. 
We, the people, cannot turn back. Our aim must be steady, wise progress. It would be well if our people would study the history of a sister republic. All the woes of France for a century and a quarter have been due to the folly of her people in splitting into the two camps of unreasonable conservatism and unreasonable radicalism. Had pre-revolutionary France listened to men like Turgot and backed them up, all would have gone well. But the beneficiaries of privilege, the Bourbon reactionaries, the short-sighted ultra-conservatives turned down Turgot and then found that instead of him they had obtained Robespierre. They gained 20 years' freedom from all restraint and reform at the cost of the whirlwind of the Red Terror, and in their turn the unbridled extremists of the terror induced a blind reaction. And so, with convulsion and oscillation from one extreme to another, with alternations of violent radicalism and violent bourbonism, the French people went through misery toward a shattered door. May we profit by the experiences of our brother Republicans across the water, and go forward steadily avoiding all wild extremes. And may our ultra-conservatives remember that the rule of the Bourbons brought on the revolution. And may our would-be revolutionaries remember that no Bourbon was ever such a dangerous enemy of the people and of freedom as the professed friend of both Robespierre. There is no danger of a revolution in this country, but there is grave discontent and unrest, and in order to remove them there is need of all the wisdom and probity and deep faith in and purpose to uplift humanity we have at our command. Friends, our task as Americans is to strive for social and industrial justice achieved through the genuine rule of the people. This is our end, our purpose. The methods for achieving the end are merely expedients to be finally accepted or rejected according as actual experience shows that they work well or ill. But in our hearts we must have this lofty purpose strive for it in all earnestness and sincerity, or our work will come to nothing. In order to succeed, we need leaders of inspired idealism, leaders to whom are granted great visions, who dream greatly and strive to make their dreams come true, who can kindle the people with the fire from their own burning souls. The leader for the time being, whoever he may be, is but an instrument to be used until broken and then to be cast aside. And if he is worth his salt, he will care no more when he is broken than a soldier cares when he is sent where his life is forfeit in order that the victory may be won. In the long fight for righteousness, the watchword for all of us is spend and be spent. So that was uh, FDR, or sorry, Teddy. Himself. The other Roosevelt. Had to bring up FDR earlier on and get him mixed up already. Um, it's not straight from the Progressive Party platform, but I thought it was a good way to bring us in because my key takeaway through the platform itself was, man, does this ring true often? And then there were a couple times where, man, is this thing dated? And I think that same thing is you know, still applicable today that he was saying of not falling to the ultra conservative or the radical, uh, liberal, um, there's still words being used today to describe the sides. (laughs) And, uh, he was trying to warn against it. And Teddy's not without fault himself. Um, but I think it brings us into an interesting point of talking over this, third-party platform he tried to create that didn't really gain a foothold or last, but 
if it did, would have completely changed things. Oh, absolutely. Um, prior to deciding that this was the topic that we were going to talk about, my knowledge of the Progressive Party and you know the Bull Moose platform and Teddy Roosevelt trying to create the third party was limited to pretty much just what was taught in uh, middle school or high school, which was pretty much just a speed bump in the road of American history of just sort of, uh, you know, you know, Teddy kind of wanted to run for, you know, uh, thought that he shouldn't run for a third term. And then he changed his mind, but he had, didn't have the Republican nomination anymore. So he created a third party and it didn't really work out. And it just sort of brushed over under the rug. Um, and then I will say, after reading through this platform and uh, the ideals of it, my God, does it run or ring true today? And I 100% agree with you. Parts of it could have been written last week. Um, parts of it are incredibly dated, but it's it's the parts that are dated are the demands that he puts in place that uh, need to happen almost immediately. And they're dated because most of them have happened. Um, and I'm sure we're, we'll get to that and we'll talk about it. But the I mean, let me put it this way. The bulk of the ideology of the party. Rings so true for me right now um if someone was to come to me tomorrow and say hey we're gonna form a new political party we're bringing back the progressive party um will you sign up i will finally go from being an unregistered voter to a progressive party card carrying member i i would start this party tomorrow if they carried a lot of the ideals that are outlined in this document that still ring true today, I would switch off the Democrat Party in a heartbeat. I mean, like just in the opening statement, some of the things said, like, um, you know, uh, that the people are the masters of their constitution, uh, that it's time for public welfare to be put in the first place. Uh, this country belongs to the people who inhabit it. Its resources, its businesses, and its institutions and laws should be utilized, maintained, or altered in whatever manner will best promote the general interest. They, it was a party of the people during mass corruption in politics, mass corruption in the Democratic and Republican Party, that is reflected as of today and like right off the bat he hops into well you know this isn't the old parties political right. parties exist to secure responsible government and to execute the will of the people i don't think that's happening today with the republicans or the democrats right absolutely um th i mean this line um Instead of instruments to promote the general welfare, they have become the tools of corrupt interests which use them impartially to serve their selfish purposes. I mean, right there, we're still in it. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt is known for being, you know, one of the 
leading crusaders of uh, fighting corruption and trying to break up, um, you know, corrupt businesses and business slash government practices. And it's interesting to read what he felt was one of the most important tenets of his time and then to look back at it over a hundred years later and go, fuck, we're still in it. Either it got better and then everybody got complacent and fell asleep and the old guard came back in and reset it and we'll save that for the conspiracy podcast or <laughs> uh, it never really went away and people just you know got sort of uh, distracted by other things well you know I know at some point we're going to have an episode on the Southern strategy and we're going to debate the opposites of it. Um, I believe it's a real thing and that the Republicans and Democrats switched. Um, actually, I just finished uh, American Nations and I have a better understanding and believe the title switched. But the people, all that happened was the title switched. But to your point, there's a line in this old party section that I think rings extremely true today and it's the deliberate betrayal of its trust by the republicans party and the fatal incapacity of the democratic party to deal with new issues of the new time like (laughs) come on the democrats still can't deal with new issues for new time they're still trying to like work on issues from 40 years ago and the republicans yeah betray our trust all the time like and and more so the republican party to uh Jeez, I can't talk tonight. The Republican Party betrays the trust of people who claim to be Republicans all yeah. the time. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that there is a term, you know, called rhino, uh, the fact that uh, conservatives constantly shit on Republicans in power, you know, for not actually being Republicans. I mean, the Republican Party, as it stands, is a complete sham and a joke exposed by trump for being that way it has no fucking clue what it is right now um i mean i mean at this point my favorite part of the whole progressive party platform is the fact that he both basically says the democratic party and the republican party are both shit they both suck they need to go away this is how we fix it and we're (laughs) we're a hundred and eight years later, and nothing's <laughs> fucking changed. Nothing okay? has changed. Not a single at thing. All. Oh my god! Yeah, that. I mean, and that's pretty much the intro. Like the rest of the intro is he says that this is a covenant with the people, and he talks about the, uh, you know, that this is changing it back to the rule of the people. Um, I mean, we talked about this in our, you know, first podcast when we went over the Constitution. You know, there's an importance that the founding fathers put with laying out the Constitution. What they put first is most important. We the people. We the people. Not we the two-party system or we the Congress of the United States or we the president. I the president. 
we, the people, at yep. some point, we forgot that we were in charge and we let oligarchs take over our country. I think there's a debate there that the people written were in charge, but oligarchs were always in control. But that could be another episode about our party systems and everything. Um, but yeah, this this really just was a shot at the government systems that are still instituted today. And, you know, I think... Woodrow Wilson taking power and then World War One happening really railroaded anything the progressives were trying to get done. Um, you know, dealing with the World War was something they had to address and it really changed the look of America at the time. But we are looking at this pre-World uh, War will actually get into something uh, in this document that definitely proves <laughs> this is pre-World War I. Um, but I think it's very interesting. Um, it, and it's actually, funny that you would bring up uh, World War I because my whole feeling reading this and everything was that had World War I not happened, the Progressive Party would have been able to stick around and might have actually had some real staying power to either disrupt the two-party system or take one of them out. But my belief is because it was pretty much in its infancy and during times of extreme crisis, uh, people lose cognitive thought and fall back on uh, things that are familiar and comfortable, uh, they didn't stand a chance yeah, once no. put in that high-pressure system. I, I agree. I think if it had had its chance to really survive, it would have. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, it's funny how many of their platform items got achieved. And right. I think <laughs> it, it's interesting, like right after the covenant of the people, uh, as part of the rule of the people, one of the very first things they take on is that, hey, senators should be voted for by the people. Um, you know, that amendment that got passed just a little bit later uh yep. the 17th amendment it happened so, uh check they look, supported look how it good look how good the progressive party is we don't and i'm gonna say we because from this point forward i'm a member of the progressive party um i don't know how you start a party but uh if anybody if any of our four listeners um knows how to do that or wants to do that uh please contact us uh this is going to happen but uh, look, our party didn't even exist, and we were able to get one of our uh, tenants uh, accomplished. So yeah, how how oh, powerful oh, are we? They were able to get a lot of their tenants accomplished. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll let's get be to clear them. on that. Um, I think it's interesting though that right afterwards, and they they don't go into any details on this, <laughs> but they support making it easier to amend the constitution. Which, I mean, I agree with. It's very difficult to amend the Constitution. But they obviously had no idea how to do oh, that. They're just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, uh, we, we support an easier way to amend the Constitution. It's got to be easier. Um, this is actually uh, one of the 
one of the tenets of the party that I don't agree with. Um, I understand where they're coming from because the Constitution being so difficult to amend um, causes it to get stagnant and prevents the country from being progressive, which one could argue the state that we are currently in in the year 2020 is partly due to the fact that um, the basically the machine of our country came has come to a grinding halt because it's become so difficult to make real rational change. And we have to rely on the systems in place to sort of modify, not change key parts of our constitution. So I understand where they're coming from in it, but as we talked about when we talked about the constitution, I don't necessarily agree with the ideal that it should be easier or easy in general to amend the constitution because you can run into um, glaring problems that not only are incredibly detrimental for the country, but have long lasting ramifications. Ergo prohibition. Prohibition never should have been able to happen. That only happened because it was a constitutional amendment. Had it not been able to be made into a constitutional amendment, um, it would not have had the long-reaching ramifications that it did, in my opinion. I think um, I partially agree with them. It should be maybe easier to address amending the Constitution. Maybe not actually amending the document itself, but address needing to amend it. Um, I, I was in a fraternity. You were in a fraternity. There, there is a certain thing, same fraternity... Uh, there is a certain thing that is ca called the bylaws of the fraternity. Um, yep. Some might know that as a constitution of the fraternity. Uh, there is one that comes down from national, and there's every chapter has a local set of bylaws. Um, when I was secretary, uh, the bylaws hadn't been looked at in a good five, six years, which is enough that the bylaws should be reviewed in a fraternity setting mm -hmm. um i think a a flaw in the founders was thinking that an amendment was just enough i think almost every 25 years we should have a um constitutional review group that gets together reads the constitution and recommends amendments they don't have the ability to amend the document itself but they, you know, look over it and say, hey, you know, this this seems out of date or the the verbiage in this isn't really clear and it's causing confusion. Right. And I know you disagree with how clear a document should be for the Constitution, but that there should be easier ways to uh, redress grievances of the Constitution than there yes. are today. No, I that's actually a great idea. I'd be all for that. Uh, I'd say we call it a constitutional convention. We yep. do a constitutional convention every, I'd even be fair to say every 20 years. If you go with uh, what a general uh, generational um, time period is. Um, and I would go so far as to say not only should they uh, sort of review the Constitution and recommend uh, either changes, you know, minor changes. You know, we need to strike this. This is no longer relevant. This is redundant. Um, recommend new amendments based on the parlance of the time, 
you know, it, it's totally fine to recommend because it doesn't necessarily mean an amendment's going to be made and passed. It could also be, um, uh, you know, turned into an act or a law, you know, something lesser. Um, but at the same time, you know, could offer up interpretations of the Constitution that would hold the same weight as the Supreme Court. And I think if you add that, I, I think a, a big issue that we have with the way our Constitution is interpreted today is the fact that there is a high, I want to say, burden put on the Supreme Court. And also, um, the Supreme Court literally has the ability to change the law of the land, the land on a whim based yep. on however they feel they want to interpret the constitution that decade. And I feel because they are the only power to do so. I mean, the biggest problem I have with the Supreme court, other than the fact that there should be an age limit on it, because Jesus fucking Christ, after a certain point, human brains break down. It's science. Fuck. But I'm going to put that aside. We'll save that for an Aaron's rant before I go <laughs> in the corner. I just complain at a wall. But my biggest problem with the Supreme Court has always been the fact that people complain that the justices need to be appointed based off of political ideology. This is the highest court in the land. It's supposed to be apolitical. Now, thankfully... Because it is a lifetime appointment, we've seen time and time again justices getting appointed and then not following the party lines of who appointed them. Um, you know, most notably Corsage is recently. Yep, uh, Chief Justice Roberts. Yep. You know, when he was put in, everybody assumed he was going to be a staunch conservative, and almost immediately went down a moderate route, um, which freaked a bunch of people out. However, if you actually, you know, did research on, you know, all of his rulings and, you know, his actual writings from before getting on the Supreme Court, it was almost obvious that he was going to become this type of justice. But um, and I, I you see it more and more in the younger justices that we have on the court where they're not following the party lines of um, who appointed them. I mean, yeah, as you said, uh, Gorsuch, um, Kavanaugh. Even, you know, breaking that rank and file, um, you know, uh, um, the older justices are the ones that tend to make, and, and my problem has always been, you know, the older justices are the ones that tend to make decisions not based on the facts of the case that are presented in front of them, but merely the their political beliefs and their standing, which... You know, you can argue you need that on the court, but do you really? That's not really balanced that, you know, because then you can get someone who gets appointed to the court who's highly political, who can bend it one way or other. Um, my example of that was, um, you know, is Ginsburg and Scalise. One of them's no longer with us. The other one, it's who knows? again. Yep. How, how long is that going to last? Um, but... You know, those two, and look, people 
you know, one of our four listeners will shut on me for doing this, but personally, one, I don't think Ginsburg should be on the court anymore because of her age, and I'm sorry, I don't care how mentally sharp you claim someone is after a certain age, especially going through cancer multiple times, they're not giving their full... We're not getting the full um, mental breadth that we should have on the Supreme Court. I'm not saying force her out and let Trump appoint another person, although it doesn't really matter because everybody's was afraid of both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, and I think those fears have been put to rest based on recent rulings, but just like um, Anthony Scalia, her decisions are based on her politics, not based on the case in front of her. Majority of the time. And I think if you had another body, like a constitutional convention, that was able to interpret the Constitution and not rely 100% on the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court at least Supreme Court justices wouldn't feel the pressure to have to make decisions based on their party. Yeah, I think I've got um, two final points here. Um, If there was a constitutional convention, uh, I think there'd be term limits on senators and House members right now. I don't think anyone in their right mind could look at this and go, wait, you put term limits on the president, but not yourself? Um, what's that about? Uh, we're going to recommend that as an amendment to the constitution that, uh, we need to put term limits on you guys too. Um, it would also be a backdoor way to get term limits in because 80% of voters agree that there should be term limits. But as we've talked about before, what congressman and senator is going to vote themselves out of a job. And here's the thing. If that if that group could recommend amendments and then the House and Senate had to vote on those amendments, they couldn't use legislative reasoning to push them off and make them disappear. Every senator and House member's name would be on a yes or no vote. And when re-election comes up, they would be like, you, the people, support term limits on your senators. Senator Bobby Joe voted no to term limits. Do you want to reelect someone who thinks they're above getting out of office? And like you would get those types of ads. Like that was a horrible ad I just created on the top (laughs) of the, but you would get those attack ads. And then I think the other thing is uh, my point to the Supreme court. um, I never think that they expected the votes to be as close as they've been lately. There's been a lot of five, four decisions. I think that is too close. Like, and I almost think the Supreme court, as much as I think what they did to Merrick Garland and Mitch McConnell's rule that he's probably going to break if Ginsburg dies before the end of the year and Trump gets to, (laughs) uh, you know, the McConnell rule is going to get neglected when it's in his favor to neglect it. But I think the court worked better as an eight, as an even person court because look if you couldn't come to an agreement and you got stuck on a 4-4 vote it meant it was a bad vote and these 5-4 votes are still bad votes they they are tie votes I mean I I think you need at least a good 6-3 vote to have a real 
reading of the Constitution, and it shouldn't be this close as it is. I agree, because with a 5-4 vote, it's almost always a political decision as to the winning side rather than um, a constitutional decision, which is not what the court's supposed to be. And also, the a 5-4 ruling gives way too much power to the chief justice because the majority of the time it's the chief justice that's that that is the tie-breaking vote yeah and the other problem from a legal standpoint which a lot of people don't realize is a 5-4 vote gives just as much legal precedent to the dissenting ruling you know um ruling than the majority ruling yeah because you can argue in a court of law, four out of the five justices went this way, and it's feasible that you could make a rational legal argument and actually have it get pushed through and win. And depending on the legal case, that's mind-boggling. And I think, to your point, it might have been a mistake for the court you know, to be made off balance because it, you know, if you have a tie, you know, obviously... A decision shouldn't be made, and that's basically what a five-four vote is. It's it's you know it's a, a tie with a tiebreaker, right? We threw in a tiebreaker because you know we don't like soccer. We're Americans. Shouldn't be a tie. There's got to be a winner. No, not when you're interpreting the Constitution. <laughs> that can go horribly wrong. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Moving back to the Progressive Party platform. Yes. Uh, if in the if next... you're a new if you're a new listener to us, uh, you will learn that um, you know the off-topic train jumps the tracks many times. Yeah, and uh, uh, tangents are our middle names. Yeah. Uh, moving on though, uh, in the next segment, there's another thing that I just think partially rings through true again today. Um, the extreme instances on state rights by the Democratic Party in the Baltimore platform demonstrates anew its inability to understand the world into which it has survived to administer the affairs of a union of states. Um, God. Um, yeah, I think that that's relevant still to both parties, that they don't understand the world in which they survive. They understand the money which is being put into their pockets by not the people to keep things going the way they are. Yeah. The deep state. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Before we go down that rabbit hole, let's move on to another win. They supported equal suffrage. They supported oh my uh, women's voting rights in uh, the platform. And guess what happened? Uh, women got the right to vote. Uh, Wait, did right that happen? Here. Right here. Uh, they supported it. Another win for this team. Boom. See, look, yeah. look how look how successful our party platform is already. I mean, we came out with it in 1912. We've already got two of our, uh, you know, our biggest platform uh, is taken care of. You know, we're moving. We're moving right along. You know, so, you didn't even know it, people, but uh, you've been supporting our party since the since the beginning. So let, let's move on. We've, we've got a loss here. Uh, this loss came to us more recently than the progressive party citizens united decision uh in the corrupt practices section uh 
We pledge our party to legislation that will compel strict limitations on all campaign contributions and expenditures and detailed publicity of both before and as well as after primaries and elections. Oh, they kind of lost that one. Uh, You know, Super PACs, PACs, Citizen United. um, that, That would be one that we could bring back today. And would mm-hmm. still be valuable that we pledged yes. to overturn yes. that shit. Yes, please so. do because what the hell? Absolutely. Wait, wait. You mean like Pete Buttigieg's three hundred thousand dollar ticket event in a wine cave before the uh, he dropped out was not uh, like above water, like. Just- we're just is this is how we're gonna close out this section of the progressive party platform um yeah this shit's fucked up it's still going on we need to bring it back fucking hell people yeah um then they go on to pledge that they uh compel registering lobbyists uh that public committee hearings uh, except foreign affairs should record all votes and federal employees should not hold office in state or national political organizations or take officers or delegates as political convention nominees for a selected state. Um, I don't think that happens. Um, the head of the DNC, which I would consider a political organization, was a senator for a while um tom perez running the dnc well like still serving uh yeah that never happened that was another loss on their part i would say it's a loss it just we just haven't gotten there yet yeah so we we got to bring that back uh put that in the uh the 2020 version of the party platform yeah Uh, i mean 100 percent with the registration of lobbyists and i mean i mean all of this this is stuff that's just common sense for a republic, a free republic to not get stolen, corrupted, and abused by oligarchs. I mean, if you are against this part of the platform, it's because you are corrupt and you're trying to hide corruption. And, yeah. and, and in all honesty, that's pretty much the whole theme and what Teddy Roosevelt was going for, he saw behind the curtain and went, ha, shit. So I'm going to ask you not to go on a tangent after this comment, because I'm going to make a comment before we move on to the next one. I make Um, no promises. Our four listeners have know me intrinsically by now, but I will try. You think it means like it could be like the same as when, I don't know, a governor opens up an organization to investigate corruption and politics in the state until they get a little too close to home. So you decide to close that organization down because of corruption in your state. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, I hate you. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. I will bite my tongue. 
Well, we we should really have a Cuomo episode. Uh, yeah, that we'll have a very good explicit warning at the beginning. <laughs> there will be, it's there will be f bombs. There will be swear words. It'll be like uh, watching The Departed. Moving on, the courts. I think they actually uh, they. They recommend something interesting here in this. That, yeah, uh, I found this very fascinating. When an act uh, is declared unconstitutional by the courts, the people should have like a year to review that and vote whether or not at the end of the year they want to make that a law or not. Like, yeah, you said it's unconstitutional. Okay, but the people want it, so we're going to allow it to happen. Yeah, it, this is one of the part because, as I said, I agree with a lot of the party platform. There are some things I don't agree with. And to be honest, I don't think anyone should agree with 100% of any party platform. That makes you not a critical thinking human being. It just makes you someone who's just blindly following. This is one of the parts that I don't agree with because of two problems. One which is a theme of the party platform, is corruption. And if you... We have checks and balances in place for a reason. We have safeguards in place for a reason. Just because the majority of people agreed on it doesn't mean that it's okay. Ergo, Germany. Late 1930s. But, so, to give the people basically override power... I, I don't agree with because people who we've elected or appointed as the authority on the constitution, seeing as most Americans right now um, couldn't even tell you what the first <laughs> sentence of the constitution is. Um, and you're going to give them the right, basically veto power uh, for the constitution. I don't really agree with, I think it leads to uh, basically the one thing that he was trying to avoid which is, I, I understand why it's in here. It's the will of the people. However, um, a person, to quote Men in Black, a person is smart, people are dumb. Yeah. And and the other problem is corruption. It's, the an act is unconstitutional, and then a lo lobbyist groups and corrupt politicians trick the public into saying, nope, we should make this this just should stay a law and then all of a sudden you have a unconstitutional corrupt uh act that uh, stays in because the system got stolen yeah and and then they said that the federal uh the supreme court if the states declare it unconstitutional due to the federal constitution should be able to review the state's warning um or ruling I think I agree with part two a lot more that if a state yes. Supreme Court says, hey, this is unconstitutional based off the federal constitution, that the Supreme Court should be able to review it and go, eh, we don't 100 percent agree with your reasoning or, yeah, you're right. This is unconstitutional. Um, the first one, I think it's an interesting concept, but it is it's too open to the will of the moment at right. that point. And I don't agree with that. Yeah, I feel like. The Constitution is, is supposed to be the safeguard that protects this thing that we call the United States of America to exist long after all of us are gone. 
And while we our country needs to be a lot more fluid than it is now, and a lot more fluid than it was in the 1912, however, that dips into a little too fluid. And as yeah. you said, the, the, the whim of the moment um, could be dangerous and not really beneficial. And also goes with the belief that all people are good and you know um you know that that type of thinking doesn't work when such small percent of the population actually votes if 100 percent of the population voted absolutely because the majority of us are reasonable middle of the road people who can't be corrupted or co-opted however that's not the case so from the no. sheer fact that uh I don't think this it's great on paper does not work in practice. Um, that, that would be stricken from our progressive party platform. Yeah. Um, the next segment proceeds to get into some talk about justice, mainly around unions and the fact that there was a lot of union busting going on at the time. Um, you know, that you shouldn't be able to be, um, uh, cited for contempt in labor disputes, you know, make it a little bit harder to be in contempt of court during a labor dispute. Um, you know, I understand the importance of unions. I think it's really fallen back during the time. I understand where this is coming from. Um, and then I think what really gets interesting is the, the social and industrial justice segment. Most of this is a thing of the past. Um, right. And a lot of these they won on. Um, fixing minimum safety and health standards. They wanted OSHA. Yep. They wanted to institute OSHA. The prohibition of child labor, which has pretty much happened to oh, this day. But the uh, tiny hands, so good I, sewing. I you can't get Ezra selling furniture. I'm sorry. Like it's prohibited. We've, we've ruined. We've ruined an income stream for fifty percent of the population. <laughs> Of America, and it's disgusting. No, I'm Instead, kidding. Instead, we have to pay to have other people watch those children now. Uh, ridiculous, yeah. when they could be also, earning a reasonable wage. Also, just Two joking. Um, <laughs> they support uh, minimum living wage for industrial occupations, something people are still fighting for today. Um then they got into some really weird stuff that's gone today or been modified. Right. Uh, prohibition of night work for women. Establish of the eight-hour workday for women. Uh, one day of rest every seven days for all workers. Eight right. hours of work in a 24-hour period. Now, this one goes to our little conversation on the 13th Amendment. The abolition of con convict contract labor system substituting a system of prison production for government consumption and the application of prisoners earnings to support their dependent families now this was interesting it, it seems like they're not actually pro getting rid of prison labor but if you are doing prison labor it is for government work and you earn a wage that is then given to your dependents to live off of because you at that time are arrested and your dependents may be having a harder time living. I think that's an interesting concept that definitely isn't in play today, right. but it's an interesting concept. 
I think it's an it's a noble idea. Um, it's it's definitely uh, definitely better than what we got going on right now. Um, I 100% agree with that. If you are going to use your prison population for slave labor, uh, it should only be for the benefit of government and not private institutions, as we have now. Um, but the the idea of um, prisoners earning basically a wage for any work that they do, something I 100% agree with, um, but I find it very interesting that um, the application of their earnings is to go to support their dependent families, um, which is not something I had thought of or considered before this. I just figured if you were working, you should have to um, you know, pay someone for that work. Um, but the idea of, well, they are prisoners, they're sitting in jail, all their other needs are being taken care of, paid for. Um, this money should go to their families because their families are suffering with, you know, a loss of stability, a loss of income because of the person's poor decisions, I thought was a very interesting way to compensate someone for going to jail without rewarding them for it so to speak yeah i think it's an interesting concept that there there might be something there to explore as something to do um it would really help um especially with these you know the, the families who have had a family member ripped away from them in some cases for offenses that maybe they shouldn't be in prison for that are now serving you know a five-year term that are, you know, you're getting money back into the hands of the people for the work these prisoners are doing on behalf of the government. I think it's an interesting concept. Um, It then goes into a bunch more like pro paying and stuff. But I think the last two points are of interest in this segment. Um, Establishment of industrial research laboratories to put methods and discoveries of science to the service of American producers. And then they have a pro union segment at the end that they support unions. Um, That's interesting. Like the concept of, yeah, we're going to have these government labs and stuff and uh, their research will then become open market to U S industry to use. Someone discovers a new battery that can power a house uh, longer than the existing batteries, cheaper than the existing batteries. Well, if that's made at the government rat lab, that can then be sold to Tesla and other solar companies to use that patent to help American industry. Right. And I the think government doesn't just get to hold on to it. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting concept that we would have these government research labs that are researching science for the betterment of Americans and American industry as a whole. Agreed. I, I think that's an interesting concept. Yeah, no, it's, it, I think it's fascinating. And it goes back to their um, overarching, I think the overarching theme of government should be giving back to the people. And we are a government of the people for the people. So what's, you know, what's the most important thing? It's advancing our, you know, our welfare and government oftentimes has resources and technology and um, 
knowledge that private institutions or general public doesn't do. So why not have the government um, fund and work towards finding um, future technologies and then be able to give them to the public, to the people to use? Imagine if, per se, all government research labs, if they existed today, were completely devoted towards finding a vaccine to COVID-19. And once they found it, they released it to the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies at zero cost so that they could produce the vaccine quickly and efficiently and cheaply to help America get back to everyday life. Just still, pr- still probably wouldn't happen because there's no money in it, which is the sad, sad truth of pharmaceuticals. So yes, but uh, no, but you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, they then say they support a Department of Labor, which happened. Um, yeah, so, another win. Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting. They then go on to country life and support. You know, a lot of it's been in about cities and industrial methods so far and that they uh support a country life commission that uh directly promotes the welfare of farmers and bringing the benefits of better farmer better business and better living within their reach i think um middle america is often neglected farm country is flyover country a lot of people call it and you know, people are concerned about the cities and this party straight out said, yeah, we have the, all this thing about industrial life, but we can't forget about the American farmers that are putting food on our tables every day that we need to be able to make things better for them. And God, if this had happened and they had been taught better farming techniques, I I don't think the Dust Bowl would have not happened because we had a hundred years of bad farming techniques right. that led to the Dust Bowl. But if they had learned better farming earlier, the Dust Bowl might have been lessened, which was just another thing on top of the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, the, like just this shitty, shitty time between like 1920 and 1940. Agreed. I, I think it's one of those where... um. I mean, right now, the middle America and farming America is almost completely ignored because, I mean, there's not enough people for it to sway delegates. It's not enough, you know, to have a serious impact in Congress. So, you know, our corrupt two-party system just sort of ignores them and... America is massive. We have massive amounts of land. Um, you know, our to for our country to no longer be able to sustain it, a living population. You know, most people live in cities, so they think you know, oh, you know, you see dystopian, um, you know, movies, and it's like, oh my gosh, uh, Chicago. There's skyscrapers on top of skyscrapers, and everybody's living with. Uh, within two inches of each other. Yeah. There's a whole middle part of our country. That's got like one person to like a thousand acres. It's going to take a long time, a huge population for us to get over this. But the massive amount of agriculture that is done in this country is completely overlooked. And it's 
one of those where, yeah, had this happened, um, I mean, it's I think it's almost imperative that one of our greatest industries is consistently overlooked and underappreciated. It's one of the greatest assets that our country has is agriculture. And I think by beliefs and policies like this not being implemented led to, you know, not just the Dust Bowl, but the collapse of the individual farmer and the rise of the conglomerate mega farm corporations that come in and then i mean how many movies have to be done about uh the big bad farming corporation that finds ways to eke out the little farmers but if i you know whether it happens or not you know it's it's not unfeasible to you know think of you know a, a mega you know growing corporation that uh, finds dirty ways to take a little farmer out just because you know they're you know they're however many acres are growing the same product but because it's just them they're selling it at a fraction of the cost yeah i think being in rochester we luck out we luck out on a couple things we're not a huge city you drive less than 45 minutes away from rochester in pretty much any direction and you hit farmland uh, that is in active use. Uh, when COVID-19 hit, we weren't as affected as other places due to food shortages, due to the fact Wegmans could go to local farmers. We had an awesome farmer's market in downtown. A lot yeah. of our small towns do farmer's markets. Um, it, we have a farm culture in upstate western New York um, that you know, isn't exactly what you get in middle America, but it is that farm culture. You can drive through fields and fields of grass. Uh, We went to Letchworth and I drove past a huge corn farm that went on and on and on and on near Mount Morris. Um, I think the other point to that though is there are farmers in New York that are without a doubt suffering. Um, I've driven to Lake Placid multiple times. We very much like going there and I drive past all of these abandoned or beaten down farms that have farmland that could be used that are probably put out of business by mega farms or i look at those and go wow if cuomo really committed to legalizing weed these farms could have been repurposed and we could have our farmers working in marijuana fields right now and getting these products out and using greenhouses and we could have put some of our farmers who are having issues back to work in different produce and we can't forget our farmers america has the ability to be the world's breadbasket right we could supply food to the world and we have the fact we have the that, capability we have the space and we have the manpower to do it and yes and the fact that there are americans that go to bed hungry every night is ridiculous and the fact that it's cheaper to get a mcdonald's meal than it is to get fresh fruit sometimes is ridiculous we should be supporting our farmers for the great work they do for americans right oh god losing my chair don't fall down (laughs) all right um moving on 
they go on to tackle the high cost of living, which isn't done today. There is still a high cost of living today uh, issue that is still going on, um, and they want to look at the system of bad taxation and poor methods of raising crops and bad business methods and marketing crops and all this stuff that has made the cost of living go up and, hey, maybe American life should be cheaper day to day. How funny. I yeah. feel like we were just kind of talking about that. Yeah. Um, they then go on to talk about health and they pretty much support um, the CDC and FDA, which both came to be. But that's right. pretty much in the health section what they're talking about. Um, oh, the CDC. I, I promise I won't go off on that tangent. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go off on a tangent there. I'm just saying that that's the Look, they, organizations they, they support. They, they said that they should exist. They do exist. We'll leave it at that. We won't talk about how um, they've become jokes and shams of uh, what they should have been. Um, and science should never be politicized. And yet those two organizations literally only do politics and refuse to actually focus on real science. But uh, we won't we won't get there. We're not going to go off on that tangent. We'll save that for another day. Yeah. So then they go on to um, a business section, which goes on for about three pages in my printout. And I have a lot of highlights and even like a double highlight. Um, Whoa. Yeah, so I want to draw you, you some. Di- you dive in. You uh, you start with your uh, poli-sci degree background uh, beliefs and then uh, I'll come in with the, a, a true business background. We'll see where we, uh, where we agree and where we disagree. Yeah, okay. So I'm just going to go some quotes <laughs> off of some things. We demand that the test of true prosperity shall be the benefit conferred thereby on all citizens not confined to individuals or classes, and that the test of corporate efficiency shall be the ability to better serve the public. Um, yeah, that all people should prosper. Good thing. Uh, corporations should be serving the public good. In a capitalist system, I don't think the government can really come in and force them to serve the public good. But this can be a completely different uh, topic for us at a different time of whether we should still adhere to a full capitalistic society or a mixed capitalist society where certain government businesses have some government influence or backing. Um, not for today, because that could be a whole topic in itself of economic that, systems. Yeah, that will be a whole topic of economic systems. And I find it interesting that that was sort of your takeaway from this, because when I first read this, I saw it, um, I read it to mean uh, more of a, less of, you know, business needs to um benefit the people and there should be a share of prosperity and more so to say it more of a testament to the benefits of a free market and that um, the true test of if a market is truly free is if there is prosperity being given to the people Hmm. so that that was sort of my interpretation that less of we need to hold corporations accountable to be benefiting the people and more so that um, the true test of whether we are running a real free market 
is if prosperity is flowing down because in, in and we can well I'll make this tangent very short because we can get into this and in the discussion of economic systems but in the truest sense of a free market prosperity should flow through all levels and should be seen at the lowest level as well as the highest level in a true free market capitalist economy it's only capitalist economies fail and get screwed up when regulation gets put in place that creates wells and dams and silos that prevents flowing so i i find i um will marginally agree with your interpretation and find it fascinating that i took a completely different interpretation from this part very fascinating okay so here's my only double highlight in the entire thing but the existence of concentration of vast wealth under a corporate system unguarded and uncontrolled by the nation has placed in the hands of a few men enormous secret irresponsible power over the daily life of citizens a power insufferable in a free government and certain of abuse that's the whole point of this document this alone could be that document we are talking <laughs> jeff bezos elon musk all these strong power brokers facebook mark zuckerberg that due to lack of government control or some government oversight has led to a certain level of abuse. Jesus Christ, yes. I mean, I find it mind-boggling that when I was in high school, I was taught about monopolies and antitrust law, and I feel like over the last 20 years, either they stopped fucking teaching it in school, or everybody just went, but it's so much easier to have a monopoly. Like, Facebook's a monopoly. Yes. Amazon is a monopoly. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry. T-Mobile just merged with Sprint? I mean... Uh, wh what is it uh, from Parks and Rec? Uh, today I'm going to make sure I'm served by Verizon Chipotle Exxon. I can get my <laughs> gas, food, and cell phone <laughs> service all from the same company. Right. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, how many, how many times has the cell phone industry gone through the cycle of mass, um, mass consolidation and then it gets broken up by antitrust. But my fear is that we've reached a point in our society where the antitrust breakup isn't going to come because we've come up with these bullshit reason reasons as to why it's not a real monopoly. Amazon's not a real monopoly because you can shop at walmart spectrum is a monopoly though it may be on a local scale our cable and internet providers for most parts of the country outside of major cities that get competition have monopolies if you want high-speed internet i'm lucky enough to live in an area with green light i know you are not you I'm have not. one choice that is a monopoly they can charge you as much as they want to. They can put data caps on you. And guess what? If you want that service, you have one person to go through. It is disgusting and abhorring. I mean, so I went to college in D.C. And in D.C. at the time, there were three cable providers, which blew my 
fucking mind having grown up in Rochester, New York with only Time Warner, never knowing that other cable companies existed and that it was I just thought it was standard practice. Oh, there's only one cable company because because here's the lie that I was told. It's not a monopoly because you can always get dish. Yeah, you can you can either pay for the Cadillac or we'll give you this rust bucket of a Daewoo that sat outside in a possum farm for six months. Oh, oh, that's free choice. Oh, I, I didn't. I mean, a car that's been sitting in a possum farm for that long <laughs> does sound intriguing, but I guess I'll bend over and take the Cadillac up my ass. Hey, I mean, yeah, here's a Cadillac Escalade, but we do have an option for you. It's a used Chevy Cruze. <laughs> Which one do you want? I mean, oh, but you need this to do your job, your schoolwork, and the Chevy Cruze doesn't go as fast as the Escalade, so keep that in mind while making your choice. Guess that's what you're paying for. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are living in pretty much Teddy Roosevelt's nightmare of corporate abuse. I mean, Jeff Bezos alone one with his wealth with the overreaching and just dirty disgusting tactics that Amazon does on a daily basis. Now, don't get me wrong, I have an Amazon Prime account. I buy most of my goods at Amazon because the command strips for these flags were bought off Amazon <laughs> and delivered the next day. I yes, mean, I understand the issue in that. Like what are you going to do? But But that's what a the, monopoly is. Time, yeah. And uh it, and here's where the abuse comes, okay? It's not just in the fact that Amazon exists. It exists in the fact that uh, the reason why Amazon is now the number one online retailer for diapers is because there was a company out there called diapers.com, and Amazon literally sold every single diaper that diapers.com sold at half the price, losing money on every single sale just to fuck with diapers.com to the point that they f almost filed for bankruptcy. They wrote them a low-ball check, bought them up, and then raised all their prices. I'm sorry, but if that doesn't violate antitrust, I don't know what does. Now and Bezos owns the Washington Post, which means he owns one of the uh, most prevalent, powerful newspapers in the country, which actually isn't that big of a deal because newspapers are archaic and they all need to go away anyway because they're biased rags that uh, just produce garbage content for garbage people, but I digress. Um, but someone who has that level of control shouldn't be in charge of one of the largest media outlets in the country because do people just not think propaganda exists? We are living in a time of only propaganda. I haven't seen a news story in probably four years. Have you seen the oh okay I I, I want to move on but like I Fine. feel like we could do a whole episode on this quote alone um and, and I I will Maybe give you this uh Emmy, Emmy signed up for the the New York Times I actually enjoy reading a lot of the articles in it um it, it's just nice to have the app and stuff. I get National Geographic, and I was thinking of re-getting Wired. So I, I don't hate print media. I don't get the Washington Post. Um, but have you seen these new article ads 
Were there advertisements that are made to look like articles so that you don't realize you're reading an ad till you're at least like halfway through reading the article? They're prominent more in newspapers, but I think they've started to show up online a little bit, too. Oh, um, so welcome to the world of uh, marketing, Jake. This has literally existed since the 60s. Well, we it is will a, be doing... It is a wonderful, dirty tactic uh, used by advertising. Um, and in my former life, with a different corporation before the one that I am running now, uh, yes, I know these exist because I did them on multiple occasions. And uh, as long as you put uh, there, depending on the state, depending on the, the periodical... Um, depends on the regulations that you do and i was i mean in my current capacity um with my company i've been approached on multiple occasions by um different uh publications basically asking if uh basically telling me that they would write a advertisement piece for me that basically looks like a op-ed editorial review um, of my company for just a small fee of a couple thousand dollars and it'll be prominently placed and really all they have to do is at the very top of the page in like eight point font put the word advertisement so uh yeah um we are going to on my other podcast the campfire chats do a whole thing about advertising and i think i need to read up on uh edward bernays i think is his name for that episode and uh we're going to talk about marketing and advertisement later but we will move on in this business section because we're getting stuck here uh we will probably actually do a full episode on business and things uh here um couple quotes i want to quickly uh draw attention to uh we do not fear commercial power but we insist that it shall be exercised openly and publicly under supervision and regulation of the most efficient sort which will preserve its good while eradicating and preventing its ills um and then on top of that such a commission must enforce the complete uh publicity of these corporate transactions which are of public interest and must attack unfair competition false capitalization and special privileges by continuous trained watchful guards and keep open equality in the highways of american commerce um antitrust laws that's what all that's about hey we're not anti-business but we do we are anti um monopolies and businesses taking advantage of right. stuff i am against overregulation by the government um mainly because things on paper do not work in real life however i am 100 percent for excuse me the whole um basically the second part of what you read and uh problem with a lot of business issues is that they happen in the shadows i feel like publicly traded companies and the rules and regs that go with that was an attempt 
to subvert that, but still, I mean, if you never go public, you literally do whatever the hell you want. And yeah, I mean, shady. You want to talk about shady business practices? Um, and we could do a whole podcast about, you know, that um, fact that IKEA um, is technically registered as a nonprofit. That way, they don't have to pay taxes, and there's ways to get around that. Um, Amazon historically never paying um, corporate taxes by um, creative accounting and being able to show a loss almost every year. Um, I'm not sure if they still do that, but definitely during the early years when they were making... They paid zero taxes last year. Yeah. And uh, Bezos is about to become the first trillionaire in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, just before you finish your point and we get out of business too, I think the other quote here is kind of getting what to you you are saying. Under such a system of constructive regulation, legitimate businesses freed from confusion, uncertainty, and fruitless litigation will develop normally in a responsive to the energy and enterprise of the American businessman. You know, we need regulation. We need to make it clearer what you can do as a business and stop this craziness. Yeah. I I feel that this line is good. It's a little dangerous, though, because once again, it goes under the assumption people are good. People will uh, do their best to do good things. Um, just the, you know, constructive regulation, legitimate businesses, um, blah, 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 will develop normally in response to energy and enterprise doesn't take into account that um, you're still putting a barrier to entry. And it takes um, money, power, skill set, or dedication to overcome a barrier to entry. Uh, most barrier to entries can be taken over by money. And most of the time, if you are um, attempting to start a small business or um, grow a small business, um, the money is not there. So this gives way to special interests, um, big corporations, and that to basically... I mean, that's always been my problem with regulation is you keep the the backbone of the country, which is small independent businesses from being able to be formed or grow. And you give a pathway to big businesses to just rape the American people. So, yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment. But again, it's it can be dangerous if not put with the right checks and balances, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving on, I think we'll rock through the next few ones. First, their patents, uh, they, they want better patent systems. Um, I think of these false copyright claims that are going into place today that are still kind of an issue with these patents, copyright type stuff, um, right. where, you know, oh, I developed that first. That's my intellectual property. I'm going to take it down. And really it isn't, or if it is the way they're using it is so different that, you know, that there's room for growth in America around patents and copyright, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole, you know, the whole stories around Thomas Edison and all the patents he stole just because it was about who filed first, not who actually invented it first. Um, 
the I mean, constantly right now we have bullshit claims uh, with copyrights, you know, in in direct violation of, you know, fair use and um, basically money grabs or I mean, I see most copy. I mean, there are legitimate. Don't get me wrong. There are legitimate copyright claims. 100 percent. But I feel most are just done for either political reasons, um, prevent a message from being spread, stop someone from saying something in particular because they're using um, a sentiment that you originally came up with, or um, just you know money grabs. You know, oh well, no one's uh, no one's giving me a dime for this long, and ooh, you're using part of my material. I want my money. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think there needs to be an overhaul of patent law. Um, having worked for uh, a patent law firm in college, uh, it's, it's a mess. Yeah. Um, I think the next thing's just super dated. Uh, they wanted an interstate <laughs> commerce commission um, based around railroads and the power to protect people from stuff uh this is this one's just super dated this is one of the areas where it doesn't last um (laughs) also there's stuff about currency in my opinion was super dated but it was super interesting that i went out and um searched for some stuff um that they were saying that currency is fundamentally a government function and it should have soundness and elasticity and the control should be lodged with the government and protected from manipulation. Um, I don't think there's a ton of currency manipulation right now, but one of the things that was interesting um, is the their comment on notes. Um, back in this time, non-government entities were able to make pretty much money. Um, the government wasn't making all of American money. And they were like, hey, this is really our job and we should be doing it. And it's right. something that with the Treasury Department, we've kind of taken over doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I... Yeah, it just that was a very interesting section. A little dated. Yeah, a little dated. Uh, um, I mean, I... I feel in in our progressive party, we should still have a currency platform. I'm still for going back to a um, gold or other precious metal based standard. Eliminate the penny. It costs us too much. We should be moving on fragments of five or should find a better way to handle the penny. I go with eliminate the penny and put Lincoln on something else. Yeah. Um, uh, so... We made the comment about World War One recently in this podcast, and they, they go into commercial development, and they're talking a lot about foreign commerce and how we should be expanding foreign commerce. And here is the line that did not date well with World <laughs> War One: In every possible way, our federal government should cooperate on this important matter. Germany's policy of cooperation <laughs> between governments and businesses has in comparatively a few years, made it a nation's leading competitor for the commerce of the world. Ooh, that line didn't date so well with World War One breaking out just Ouch. a few years later. Ouch. Although, 
very interestingly, kind of holds true today. Oh, yeah. It does. Like, literally, uh, right back then, okay, we can get behind it. Next 50 years, oh, God, no. 100 years, oh, all right, back in play. Berlin Berlin merges again. Germany becomes one country, back in play. Um, Conservation, uh, Teddy was a huge... uh, conservationist he wanted more parks he really much he pushed for that um and he one of the things i of note in here was that the party is requesting re- reasonable compensation to the public for water power rights um kind of dated we don't do a ton of water power right now but he thinks you know if we're coming in and taking public land for building a dam to build an electric dam, you know, there needs to be reasonable compensation to the public for that. Right. Well, I think you could update this, um, and, you know, make it relevant to today, you know, in discussions and talks about pipelines Mm -hmm. and, um, that whole side of this issue. Um, but yeah, huge conservationist. I, I mean, we need to preserve nature. We need to preserve parks. Uh, I mean, I've always been um, a fan of this aspect of um, Teddy Roosevelt's um, policies and beliefs. And uh, one of the one of my favorite things is when he basically realized the difference between. Um, a national park and a national forest and it was like oh wait loophole <laughs> i don't need congressional approval for this we just can't harvest any of the trees that's fine boom all this land is now protected yeah peace out he, bitches <laughs> he was big on that and i think that's important still today um another thing to new york state especially living in western new york we have a ton of parks uh, Letchworth is only 45 minutes away. It's huge. It's big, green. Um, I think parks are vital um, and that everyone should visit a national or state park that is a really big park to see the wonders of nature. Um, so, um, next, they supported good roads, um, which I still support. I think our transportation. <laughs> sucks today like we do not take care of our roads bridges and stuff like that and i think a good party should have a good transportation system even if that means in cases um moving away from roads and back to trains i saw uh, a map today that was a group that is proposing a hyper train system throughout the entire united states and i think it had five lines and it would merge with canada but the concept was like you could go from New York to Toronto, I think in um, six hours by train. Uh, the New York loop went from uh, the two lines were like Toronto to Buffalo to Rochester to Syracuse to Albany, uh, New York City oh, to they Albany. Actually stopped here. Oh, that's yeah, that, that did. Uh, New York City to Albany to Quebec to. I forget, one of the other Canadian cities. Then from Albany, there was another line that headed out to Boston. And then from the Boston line, 
you could go to DC. The New York line went to DC and then it expanded West and it was a huge transportation system to lower our need of cars. Um, I, I think we are a car based nation and due to that, we should improve our roads. There should not be these bridges that are potentially getting closed down due to vulnerabilities because they're so old and haven't been touched up roads that are right. falling apart. We need to, we need to focus on how Americans get around yeah. and improve I mean, at, how Americans the, get around. At the time that this was written, our national infrastructure was absolute crap. Thanks to world war one and world war two, we stepped up our game. So this part is a little dated, but I feel like it can be adapted and redone in the guise of um, addressing current issues, like 100%, absolutely. I think one of the things that made America great back, um, you know, many years ago was, you know, how we embraced railroads um, and railroad travel, and it's what helped us expand to the West. And then we just sort of abandoned it because for reasons. Um, our country is massive. We are one of the largest countries in the world with one of the most diverse multiple subsects out of any other nation in the world. And to just rely on basically two modes of transportation, one of which literally flies over most of the country, um, is is not really sustainable and the i mean the fact that so much of our shipping relies on trucking industry which has become so regulated over the last few years some for good reason some for petty reasons and i mean it's not a glamorous job but if we just invested more in railroad um, infrastructure, a lot of the burden that gets put on trucking, which, you know, right now, a lot of supply chain issues that are happening that have been brought on by uh, COVID-19 is 100% due to our limited staffing within trucking and then the demands that get put on it. If we didn't have that, it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be such a problem for the country to get back up to speed from a supply chain issue. So, this is one of those sections that, you know, is dated, but should be rewritten and can be rewritten and retooled for the parlance of our times. Yeah. Um, now that one is the next few segments are definitely just straight up dated. Um, <laughs> Alaska. They spend a lot of time on Alaska and what it pretty much comes down to is, hey, this was a territory and we should treat it this way. I have nothing else to say on the Alaska portion other than, yeah, that that's dated. Um, <laughs> we promised the people of the territory of Alaska the same measure of legal self-government that was given to other American territories. They become a state, done, handshake, we figured that one out. Yep. Uh, waterways. Um, so this was interesting. There was a huge push on waterways and how we're using our rivers and stuff and my main takeaway with this combined with the panama canal section was um teddy realized that the railroad companies at the time had a monopoly on transportation um 
you know, if you wanted to get something from San Francisco to uh, Rochester, there was no Amazon truck that you could Amazon plane. You could put that on then an Amazon truck that then took it to a distribution center that then got put onto an Amazon van that got somewhere. It was the railroads and the railroads had formed a strong monopoly and Teddy was looking and the party as a whole was looking for a way to break that monopoly. And they saw water transportation and the Panama Canal as a future. Another win for them. Hey, the Panama Canal happened. Yay. Another win. Right. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um, yeah. The advent of uh, of um, semi trailers and uh, long distance trucking pretty much eliminated fear and i mean you know eliminated the railroads really right railroads is a failing industry with public transportation on the railroads amtrak a for loss business that is propped up by the american government yeah so and then panama canal um yeah there we go that happened it happened Uh, Dated part. Not, not, really, not really relevant now. Although I feel there are those in Canada that feel like they need to keep it uh, legitimate, seeing as uh, instead of uh, shipping goods literally across one of the best um, trans um, country interstates in the world, decided to ship something from the east side of Canada through the Panama Canal and then up to the other side of Canada, which is mind-boggling because uh, they literally have to go past two southern neighbors and surely there is a better way to get those goods from pretty much Quebec to Vancouver. But uh, you uh, crazy Canadians, you do your thing. Uh, Hey, 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 the maple syrup mob controls transportation and we like boats. We like going on boats. So you want maple syrup in Vancouver, you're going to get it by boat. Truck. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if I lived in Canada with literally nothing to do because it's cold and pretty much a, there's more moose than there are people. I mean, I'd be finding creative ways to get the hell out of there and go on a, you know, couple month long cruise, too. So yeah. to each their own America's hat. <laughs> uh, he then go they the party then goes on and has a huge thing on tariffs. And what we're going to do about tariffs, um, which I think tariffs are still kind of an issue right now. Uh, there's a huge thing about, you know, tariffs on places like China and stuff like that and economic sanctions on China. I think the main thing that I took away was just that they pledge themselves to establish a nonpartisan scientific tariff commission reporting both to the president and other branches of Congress, um, which shall report to... First, say what the means of production are, what the cost of this tariff is, and how much of that tariff will get passed on to people, and if it's actually saving us anything by doing this tariff. I think right. that's an interesting concept, um, one that I, I don't think is really in play today. No, I, I find the, the very first sentence of this uh, section very interesting. The We believe in a protective tariff which shall equalize... Uh, conditions of competition between the United States and foreign countries. Um, That is huge right now. And it's one of those, had that been in play, the mass exodus of manufacturing from the U S to 
countries like China um, and overseas wouldn't have had the ability to happen because that happens because, you know, China basically operates with slave labor and yep. uh, is able to drive down those costs. And if you had a tariff and I mean, that's the whole point of a tariff. It's supposed to equalize the conditions because just because another country is pretty much breaking what our laws would be, um, they shouldn't be allowed to get away with that. And yeah, you, um, you want to move your production to China? Okay. You we're losing 50,000 American jobs because of that. And you're paying them nothing. Um, but you're going to charge the same price in America. Guess what? We're going to charge you a tariff to recoup the losses to America by the fact that you're not employing Americans. Oh, that means you want to think about keeping manufacturing in America. Great. Yeah. I also, at the um, end of the section, I love the fact that he once again shits on both Republicans and Democrats. First one shitting on the Republicans. We condemn the Payne Aldrich bill as in, as unjust to the people. The Republican organization is in the hands of those who have broken and cannot again be trusted to keep the promise of necessary downward revision kind of sounds like today and then shitting on the democrats the democratic party is committed to the destruction of the productive system through a tariff for revenue only a policy which would inevitably produce widespread industrial and commercial disaster which once again sounds exactly what the democratic party does today so so glad that those two parties decided to uh, change their ideals and move in a more progressive manner. Yep. Then he moves on to, or they move on to inheritance and income tax. Hey, income tax happened. Another amendment that they won on. Um, inheritance tax did not happen in an amendment. But um, I questionably think maybe it should have. The I. My problem, so the inheritance tax portion sort of caught me off guard by how aggressive it seems. Um, I I like that it's a graduated um, inheritance tax. Um, however, the equalizing the obligations of holders of property to government... Um, and then uh, pledge our party to enact such a federal law as uh, will tax large inheritances returning to the states an equitable portion of all amounts collected. I find it sort of strange of the emphasis put on inheritance tax um, in this platform when so much, you know, we, I mean, we're more than halfway through the platform with so much of the emphasis being on the people, not the government. And we need to give uh, protection and basically wealth and life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness to the people and out of the hands of the corporation and the government. And then all of a sudden this sort of, for me, this sort of comes out of left field in, we need to take large portions of, um, wealth and give it to the government and my problem with inheritance tax um has is and has always been you prevent you a well-established wealthy family 
is unaffected by an inheritance tax. An inheritance tax prevents a low-income or middle-class family that has garnered wealth from being able to pass it on to the next generations. Inheritance tax, in my opinion, literally keeps the class system as it is. I feel like you need to, you basically need to correct the income disparity before the person dies because the inheritance tax literally only punishes the descendants of those that have garnered the wealth and in America, yes, everybody should um, should you know forge their own path and be successful on their own merits. But if you're going to tax my wealth at the end of my life, my opinion is you don't get to collect income tax because otherwise you're double taxing that money. Well. I think the real solution would be a percentage-based income tax that everyone pays the same percentage into the system. No matter if your income's a hundred dollars or a billion dollars, you pay your seven percent into the system, and then you've paid equally in. One hundred percent. I feel, yeah. Yeah, my only thought on inheritance tax, and I think it might have been a thing at the time, is I think at the time there was a lot of new money forming in America in the early 1900s, the robber barons and such, who amassed wealth, then handed it on to their children who literally did not proceed moving on with the company or anything and weren't using that money for goodwill. Um, Even though the robber barons, you could question whether they were really using the money for goodwill. But um, I think if you had a fair income tax that said no tax loopholes, no hiding your money in these bank accounts to get out of it, you pay your 7% income tax every year, no matter how much you make. And at the end of your life, you've paid your income tax to the government. Right. Yeah. That means the billionaire has paid what, um, you know, 7 million a year over years, but they've been funding the right helping with their percentage yeah um, i i agree with the the fact that the you know it's it's a good point that uh it it does feel like the the stance on inheritance tax was to correct um you know sort of uh something that happened during the time and uh i feel like it's dated it's unnecessary and could be fixed in a much it i feel like Instituting inheritance tax to this degree today would not have the um, outcome that it is intended to do. I feel no, I agree. It hurt new money more than it right. hurts old money. Yeah. Um, without it a doubt. Put put in um, percentage based inherit er, income tax across the board. Um, equalize it for everybody. Uh, corrects fifty percent of the problem. Yep. Um, they go on to peace and national defense, um, which to me was just interesting because, you know, people talk about Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders and the fact that he fought in multiple wars and stuff. But overall, the party is for diplomacy before war, even even excuse me, even to the point that they um, 
you know, recommended only building two battleships a year to prevent our army from growing super big. <laughs> so um, it's interesting to see someone who is partially remembered for being a warrior more drawn towards diplomacy and peace and understanding that maybe the military isn't need to be beefed up to the percentage that it's beefed up to. Yeah. I, I feel like his stance on that was because he was a warrior and went through, went through battle. And it's one of those, you live through something and you go, there's gotta be a better way. And surely, you know, we should not rely on this, you know, as an enlightened society. Now, the balance you have to take is, um, you know, safety versus, um, you know, overproduction. I feel uh, we will have to devote another podcast specifically to, you know, should America be the world police? Um, this is basically the podcast where we are rattling off all the other podcasts that we should have on the podcast. So hope you're taking notes because we're going to forget. Yeah, we, we are definitely going to forget. Um, yeah, the, I mean, that's my only thing to that. Um, then he goes on to talk about treaties and how our treaties shouldn't harm American people with foreign governments. I agree with that. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I find it odd that uh, in the early 1900s that needed something that needed to be said so yeah, something <laughs> I, I did not look up this but there must have been something that you know we had a treaty that potentially harmed Americans or something um, yeah. he then goes to talk on about immigrants and he's pretty pro immigrant um, maybe not pro immigration in and of itself but understands that uh, we need immigrants to man the factories and stuff but also that we um, we need the immigrants to do the shit jobs that we don't want to do. But he goes on <laughs> to say he understands we're preying on the immigrants that come in and treating them poorly and that we should encourage. One of the things I found interesting is that he encouraged distributing immigrants away from cities. Um, he understood that there was huge immigrant populations in new york and boston and stuff and he uh the party was kind of like we should get those immigrants to other par areas of the country right i thought that was interesting i find and, it, it it is interesting and it's one of those where i think too often americans forget that we are a country that was founded not based off of um nationalism or religion or race creed we were formed on the on a single idea and we are a country of immigrants and every generation there's new groups of immigrants that come in and it is disappointing that the viewpoint is always the same it's just the group that changes and um I mean, 100% the indifference and neglect, which, you know, you know, towards an immigrant population. I mean, it that's all it takes. It takes two. It takes one to two generations to forget that, you know, our great grandfather came over as an immigrant. And but here's a new group of immigrants. And it's like, well, my grandfather did it right. And, 
you don't seem to be doing it right. I think I don't know how you would pull off the distribution away from cities, but you would probably fare better. You'd have less stigmas if you actually filtered immigrants throughout the country. Now, you know, nowadays, you know, do immigrants from, you know, like, uh, I don't, you know, from like Asia or the Eastern world really want to settle in rural Idaho but uh you know make it work hey we should have an Ex- immigrate to alabama ad done so interesting all right so we're back from that unofficial break i hope you enjoyed our non-existent advertisers uh we're almost through this um they wanted pensions for american soldiers um including Confederate, ex-Confederate soldiers. I feel the um, ex-Confederate soldiers part is now dated. Yep. Uh, I don't think that needs to be in. However, and uh, at some point, if you're keeping a list of the podcasts we're going to have, here's a podcast we're going to have to discuss the um, American military. I am, and I think I said this in a previous podcast, I don't know, but 100% for pensions for american soldiers and their widows yep yeah um then they want a parcel post that will charge rates proportionate to the distance and service um so i can tell you what this is this was an exact response to the fact that railroads pretty much controlled the means of transportation across the uh continent um yep so they wanted usps pretty much to be able to do parcels um, which they do today, but USPS is also in threat again due to companies like US UPS and FedEx and there's another one I want to say out there that isn't DHL. nearly yeah they're not nearly as popular no because um, they suck um, but I, I I think we should support our post people I mean. Mail's still a thing. It, it's still a, it's still a good way of getting things across. I don't know if it should be fully privatized. Uh, I mean, personally, I don't care. Um, I think the post office sucks. Um, but then again, depending on where you live, UPS sucks or FedEx sucks. Um, Personally, my personal opinion, I've always loved FedEx better than the other two. Um, personally, I think the post office should just focus on... I would say they should focus on just letters, but they'd go bankrupt. You know, Amazon's literally the only thing keeping them afloat right now. Um, yeah, it's... I don't know if the post office was to go out of business tomorrow and they were to say it's 100% privatized. I wouldn't care. I think the fact, I think part of the reason why the post office is failing is because it's had no competition. It's has no reason to evolve and um, get better. We didn't really, touch on this when discussing the constitution but the whole provisions 
enabling uh, the post office and demanding that it exists. Um, if you actually in- read the language as it is, it doesn't say anything that it needs to be run by the government. just says that we need a system in place. I don't understand why FedEx and UPS can't put shit in my mailbox. If someone wants to theoretically spend 58 cents to send a letter using FedEx as opposed to USPS, why would that be a bad thing? So here would be my only take on it. Um, We have gotten to the concept that it is the norm to have things delivered to our door. Um, That is because of USPS. Um, I'm not saying it would happen within a year of the post office failing, but I could see within 10 years uh, companies coming through and being like, yeah, um, you got free shipping. Free shipping just gets it to our office. You want door delivery. You're going to pay us, FedEx, $5 for door delivery. Or you can come to the FedEx store and do pickup. Um, I think that is something today USPS is keeping standardized is that door delivery is a thing. And I could see that going away if USPS ever went away. I can see that. Um, But I can also see the um, government protections that hold USPS in play being applied to the private institutions should USPS fold and basically say no. The law mandates that there needs to be a service that is delivered to the door. Um, You know, it's unjust. So I understand the concern. I agree with it. I feel that it very, very well could happen. Um, But I feel that uh, should USPS fail, there is a much... I, I feel like there's ways to protect that and prevent that. Also... New business model for USPS, um, they're just the final mile. So instead of um, FedEx and UPS delivering to your door, it all gets, they deliver to a general USPS facility, and then they're the ones that deliver it to your door, which, if done right, would be fantastic. However, as someone that has dealt with the post office on multiple occasions, they fucking suck at uh doing that so that would probably make it a hell of a lot worse and my quick tangent story is the fact that um uh opening up a new business uh post office came to deliver something before we were technically open to the public and our doors were locked at the time because we technically weren't open yet the post person knocked on the door and as someone was walking up to it, got frustrated with waiting and just left. And then I got the notification that I had to pick up my package at the post office because it wasn't, you know, because they couldn't deliver it, quote unquote. And uh, after waiting for an hour for them to try and find the package, uh, apparently the post person, when they got back to the post office, stuck it under their desk, which one I didn't know mail carriers had desks but apparently they do and had been using it as a footrest for the last two days um and uh yeah 
they didn't uh that's why it took them so long to find it and they're like oh here it is and i was like why is it slightly bent oh well uh we found it it accidentally fell under their desk oh accidentally sure and then it happened a week later with another package to be delivered uh luckily this time i made the joke make sure to check under her desk and uh that wasn't so funny because that's where the next package was instead of being properly filed away. So I have problems with the post office. I don't care if they fold because I feel like they suck. But at the same time, I, they are important and uh, they should do better. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Civil next, service. Yeah. Also seems dated because it's talking more about the civil service exam and how it we're not enforcing civil service act to the letter seemed kind of dated to me. Yeah. Yeah. We demand not only the enforcement of the civil service act, uh, in letter and spirit, but also legislation, which will bring under the competitive system, postmasters, collectors, marshals, and all other non-political officers, as well as the enactment of an equitable retirement law, and so on and so forth. Um, I don't. I don't really feel like this is an issue. No. Anymore. No. We kind of figured that one out. I got that one okay. Um, the next thing was they were talking about business for the national government. Um, that pretty much like the national government would coordinate with the federal bureaus to increase economic and efficiency of government services. Um, this is kind of what you're talking about with the post office. Um, right. Let, let's increase those efficiencies of government services. Uh, government business is so fucking bloated. Um, and as someone who worked for a government contractor, the whole system is corrupt and self-serving and disgusting. And for our party platform, I would expand this section and from one paragraph from one paragraph. I mean, I think if Teddy saw what government business was today, uh, I feel like he'd have a couple more things to say on the topic. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. <sighs> All right. The final segment, uh, government supervision over investments. Uh, Pretty big here, um, section, well, small section, two paragraphs, but I think this is still relevant today. Um, investments aren't well supervised today. Um, Enron was not that long ago. Bernie Madoff was not that long ago. And um, they refer to this as a form of piracy and that we should demand carefully thought out legislations to give the government supervision over the manor and furnish the people of the United States with much needed protection. Um, there was something else I wanted to draw your attention to. Um, and I put it in our show notes. If you checked it out, um, a 20 year old recently committed suicide due to the Robin hood trading app. Um, yep. some glitch in the advanced version of, uh, the trading app made it look like he had lost $750,000, three quarters of a million dollars at 20 years old that he hadn't even put into. He didn't have that money. He didn't put into the app. And Robinhood has no in-person callable support and had lacking support staff on email. 
So the kid freaking out killed himself. Um, Wall Street is predators. I mean, it's it's one of those. It was also a miss. I mean, it was looking into it. I didn't. um, From my understanding, it wasn't necessarily a glitch. It was his misinterpretation of what was going on because there's a part of stock trading and all of that where you're trading on um, basically money that you don't have and I'm not a day trader I don't fully understand it but uh, you know there's there's you know shorting stock and you know all of that and there's the ability to um, trade on you know the value of your portfolio you know basically you trade money that you don't actually have you know, to gain more stocks. And it was one of those where he happened to check it at a time where he was leveraging, you know, that uh, like loan amount or whatever it was. And then, you know, the whole thing tanked and he panicked and freaked out. But there is so little regulation on investing and trading. I mean, and you're absolutely right with, you know, Bernie Madoff during our time, largest Ponzi scheme, um, you know, of our generation, um, Enron. I mean, and these sort of things happen frequently on, um, smaller scale. Um, you know, personal example for me when, um, and my family having gone through this, when, uh, my, uh, grandfather passed away. He left, um, you know, he divvied up um, the money that, you know, he had um, amassed over his lifetime to each of his children, each of his grandchildren. Um, most of, you know, and and basically each grandchild got a trust fund that was managed by an investment banker. Well, the investment banker not only skimmed you know, money off of, you know, out of the accounts through erroneous and, um, you know, unreasonable fees, but also did terrible, uh, you know, trades and deals that basically, you know, every time that uh, he invested or did a trade, you know, he got a high commission fee, um, but then the stock would underperform or tank. And, um, you know, over basically a five-year period, from the time that my grandfather passed away to the time that I was 18, um, almost every single dime that had been put into those trust accounts was gone due to mismanagement and um, erroneous fees. And literally the response to my family was, well, if you didn't like it, you should have gone with a different investment banker because everything he did was legal. Um, The same thing happened to my grandparents, actually. Um, their investment banker through actually a relatively large bank was doing some funky thing with their money. And when she left, it turns out my grandparents had lost way more money than they gained. Um, you know, they didn't do a deep dive into it, but I were pretty sure she was skimming off right. the top. Somehow. And, and these stories are not the exception. They're the rule. And yeah. I mean, you have, an industry that is, I mean, and it is an industry. And I think that's the problem. It's not seen as an industry. It's just seen as 
like a commodity or you know a service and i mean wall street is literally built on just moving money around and if there's ever something to be regulated it, i mean how is you know boiler rooms a thing you know pumping and dumping stocks i mean these you can ruin someone's life in an instant because our society is built on cash and not on trade you can ruin someone's company if enough uh, stock shorters start selling and it causes a sell-off on a company i mean it doesn't happen often but you could ruin a company not right. one of the big ones, but one of the smaller ones that's just starting to get popular that maybe yeah. has a little bit of a downturn and then the shorters are like, nope, now's the time to sell. And it's a dangerous game to play. Right. Um, and also, you know, the other side of that is, you know, you need protections on investment from the other side. Uh, prime example, Sears, you know, CEO comes in, buys up the company. Sears used to own all of their um, land that every single Sears sat on, or almost every single Sears sat on. And uh, CEO comes in, creates a secondary company, sells off every single asset, tangible asset that Sears had to himself to pay himself for it, um, and then defaults on the loans to himself, uh, settles... And then start selling off the assets that he swindled away from the corporation to take 100% of the profits for himself. And then now we're here with Sears no longer existing. And yet his real estate company, Seritage, still exists and is making bank right now. Yep. Well, well Craftsman is a uh, product of Lowe's now, thanks to that. Yeah. Um, I, I think personally, uh, our version of the party has one other version of investment piracy to protect the people against, and that's payday lenders. Mm. Um, yeah. That's a more modern thing, but if we're going to rewrite this, this stuff is still prevalent today, but we also need to address the issues with payday lenders. Yeah, agreed. So, um, That ends the party platform they go into like a one paragraph conclusion that says hey yeah this is our platform pretty much oh let's um, read it to conclude uh, to oh okay, play okay. us out on the principles and on the recognized desirability of the uniting uh sorry of uniting the progressive forces of the nation into an organization which shall unequivocally represent the progressive spirit and policy we appeal for the support of all american citizens without regard of previous political affiliations that's a party platform perfect amazing there's a lot in here a lot still relevant um a lot not relevant anymore any final takeaways? Um, please, one of our four listeners, contact us uh, for setting that knows how to set up a political party. And uh, we will start the progressive party uh, in Rochester. We will figure out how to take over a small municipality. Uh, and then uh, 20 years from now, it's the White House. 
but uh, we'll we'll put the headquarters here in Rochester and uh, let's so fix we, the where, country. Where do, we, where do we start? Like East Rochester? Like we need a small municipality. East Rochester feels like it'd be hard to break into. I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like if you find like a small enough, maybe a hamlet, maybe a village, but not it can't be an uppity village. You know, we, so we gotta we can't go. Do like, we gotta go to the other side. We gotta go to like Spencerport or yeah. Something. I feel like we start there, you know, or or you just do like the shotgun approach where you get one or two people from, you know, each town or something. Get maybe get a judge here, uh, a congressman there. Brockport, because once people are back in college, you get the college kids to all love you and start talking you up. And even though they can't vote in the village, they'll just annoy people into voting for you. <laughs> No, we don't want to kill our party before we get started. We need the legitimate people. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think... we got to find a purple town, because <laughs> it is a purple party. Our, it our party color should be purple. <laughs> it's a purple party. In the middle. Um, bring unity. Bring people together. I think my final takeaway is... Especially with the past few episodes, go out, read historical documents on America realize how much has changed and how little has changed over hundreds of years of history. Yeah. You are, you are still fighting for the fake teams that have been set up from the beginning. Um, and you think that you're fighting for change and progress when in reality, uh, you are just, lining the pockets of the corrupt that have been doing this for literally over a hundred years. Remember the leader of one party shits in a golden toilet and complains on Twitter. while the other one has a gigantic fridge stocked with expensive ice cream and thinks it makes her seem like a normal person. (laughs) No politician should leave office richer than they entered it and mitch Mitch, Mitch mcconnell all of them yeah nancy i mean the what is it six out of the last presidents uh all left with considerably more wealth than they went in with it except for trump but he's already a billionaire so you know it it drops in the bucket did it go up did it go down we don't know or until we'll never we see those see tax that. returns. We'll Maybe see. he's been a thousandaire the entire time. <laughs> he's been lying it up. But, uh, yeah, uh, your politicians that uh, are batting for a particular team are lying to you to line their pockets. It's time to reinstitute the Progressive Party platform. Our color is purple. Our animal is the bull moose. We are coming for America to save her. We're going to crash through that window antlers first. Yes. Well, it's been great meeting with you again. Yes, it's been good. I, Let's not drink this one again. I did I did finish the root oh, of all I, evil. I also um, did. I choked it down. <laughs> I, I think I can cross that off my bucket list. We don't need to do that again. Uh you will pick a new round next time. 
Yeah, I, I'm thinking I'm going to start drinking some of the other meads, and we'll go with something different next time. Sounds good. Because I keep looking them out of my fridge and being like, I want to drink that. So um, until next time, we'll come up with another topic and hopefully see you again in two weeks. Thank you all for joining us. Have fun. Stay safe. Bye. Podcast this. <laughs>